Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is using Adventure Church to speak into your life. If you have a story you'd like to share, please do so at adventure.church/mystory. Also, if you would like to support Adventure Church financially, you can do that online and help us bring messages just like this one to you each and every week. Now let's prepare to hear a word from God. The Cross A concept not so easily defined. In the cross, we find symbolism for both ends of the spectrum. Hatred met its match in love. Darkness collided with light. Shame overthrown by mercy and death undercut by life. But beyond the results that we've been unable to receive, have we lost sight of the cost, betrayal, and abandonment by those who called him a friend? The mocking and insults, the nail-pierced hands, a crown of thorns painfully wrapped around his head as the punishment meant for us was endured by him instead. There on a cross, the unthinkable occurred. Perfection stepped into the sinner's place. There on the cross, the Son of God victorious in a scandal of grace. Well, again, this is our third service today, and so I'm, I'm just getting warmed up. I feel bad for the 1145 because I'm going to have no time restraints, man. I get excited. I get excited on Easter, and so today, uh, if you are a guest, don't get used to me preaching 25 minutes. When you come back next week, I promise you it will be longer. That's one thing I can promise you. But today, our, we've themed Easter, Scandal of Grace, and we want to welcome you again. Thank you for being here. We want to welcome those of you tuning in online today. We're grateful that you've taken time out of your day as well to tune in with us. But as we think about scandals in U.S. history, I... I, I uh, consulted with Google and said, what are some of the biggest scandals that we've had here in U.S. and, and just in the last 50 years or so? And it starts kind of with the JFK scandal, you know, and the, you know, was there one shooter? Was there two shooters? You know, who was on the grassy knoll? You know, what was the conspiracy? You know, all those types of things that come with that. Uh, then we, you think about O.J. Simpson, right? The, the white Bronco going down the highway. And even today, there's still TV shows about O.J. Simpson 20 years later about his story and the scandal and behind that. And how many of you remember uh, Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, right? I mean, just the craziness of that whole situation. Uh, and, and not to throw anyone under the bus this morning, but the Monica Lewinsky deal, right? You know, improper relations, uh, you know, with, with the president. It was just crazy. And for some of you, you know, who, who, who are more in the pop culture, Brangelina, right? Brangelina. Still some drama with Brangelina and steroids and baseball and deflate gate and Pete Rose, the hit king who was wrapped up in gambling and you know, banned from baseball, not allowed in the Hall of Fame. All of these things are big scandals that hit the news and press. But today I want to talk to you about a scandal and an event that happened that was the greatest scandal of all time, one that tops them all. And a scandal defined by Mr. Webster in the dictionary says an action or event regarded as morally or legally wrong and causing general public outrage. And over 2,000 years ago, an innocent man was sentenced to die. He was a man that was full of love and mercy. 
He was a man who had never sinned. He was righteous in every way. The religious people conspired together, bribed one of his best friends to betray him, and then without evidence demanded that this man be crucified on a cross to die a criminal's death. But little did they know that this was all a part of God's plan. You see, the cross was the perfect answer to a terrible dilemma. Because the Lord is holy and just and he hates sin and must respond to it with punishment and wrath, yet he also loved sinners and wanted to be reconciled in relationship to his children. And so the cross of Christ became a place where God's wrath and grace collided. It was a scandal of grace. The only way that God could rescue fallen mankind, you and me, from eternal punishment was to devise a plan whereby the Lord could forgive sins without compromising his holiness. There was no way to overlook our sin. His wrath had to be poured out either on us or a substitute, but there was only one substitute, and that was the perfect Son of God. So Jesus came to earth as a man. He suffered the Lord's wrath as he hung on the cross for you and me. Sin was punished, divine justice was satisfied, and now God could forgive mankind without compromising his character. And his wrath was poured out on his son so that his love and forgiveness could be showered on you. And because of our human limitations, we'll never fully grasp all that happened to Jesus on that cross, the weight of the sin of the world, the the wrath of God on his shoulders. But this costly redemption plan proves God's great love and his amazing grace for us. You see, it was a scandal of the likes we've never seen since, but it was a scandal of grace. And grace is defined as the free, unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners. You see, grace is scandalous. It's hard to accept. It's hard to believe. It's even hard to receive. Grace shocks us in what it offers to sinners like you and me. And it's not of this world. And what we see is is that the perfect son of God, Jesus, died for crimes he didn't commit. It was a scandal. Crimes he never committed. Who's willing to do something like that? Who is willing to, to step in place of someone who did things like I've done and who struggled with issues like I've struggled with? Who's willing to step in? to take on that punishment. Romans 4.25 says he was handed over to die, not because of his sins, but because of our sin. And he was raised to life to make you and I right with God, that we can be in right standing with God. Jesus, who was was without sin, who had never sinned, the perfect son of God became the punishment for our sin. My sin, past, present, future. That's what he died for. One of my favorite movies is The Green Miles. Anyone seen that? Let me know. You've seen that movie? Come on. Yeah, okay. It's 10 o'clock. Y'all should have coffee by now. Come on. Participate with me today. The Green Mile, right? Tom Hanks, great movie. And this man, John Coffey, who plays the, the lead character, who had this supernatural gift to heal people and to see things and to do things that no one else could do and found himself being wrongly accused and convicted, sentenced to death row for a crime he didn't commit. And Tom Hanks plays one of the prison guards and begins to to see that there's no way that this gentle giant, this loving man who has this gift could ever hurt anyone. And yet he knew there wasn't much he could do to to change his situation. And John Coffey reassures him that it's okay. 
that he's okay with death, he's okay with dying. And then Tom Hanks begins to, to, to live on after his execution and whatever gift he had, he kind of passed into him. And Tom Cruise is growing older and older and yet is never dying. And he said, I think this is the curse, the punishment that I have to pay for, for letting this man, this innocent man, be killed in my place, to die. And that's really what Jesus did for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, when we were utterly helpless, nothing we could do for the dilemma we were in, Christ came at just the right time and he died for us sinners. Now most people would not even be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who's especially good. But God showed us his great love by sending Christ to die for you and me while we were still yet sinners. Died in our place. You see, you're born a sinner. You can't escape it. If your kids are anything like mine, they came out of the womb saying, mine, right? I want it my way. We're born into this fleshly desire to put ourselves first and others second. The opposite of what Jesus did for us. And yet the one who was perfect, the one who was willing to put everyone else before himself, who did not deserve death, became the punishment for our sin, became the sacrifice for you and me. And Jesus paid a debt that you owed but could not pay. It was a scandal of grace, of his love and of his mercy. But this has always been the gospel message. The Christian faith is not for good people. It's for people who know they're bad. It's not for saints. It's for people who know they're sinners. Salvation is for people who think, who, who not think they're righteous, but for people who know that they're not. It's for people who are hunger, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for people who think they've achieved it. And at the center of this scandal and what Easter is all about, we see that perfection took our place. Jesus was willing to die for crimes he didn't commit, and perfection took our place. It was our crimes. You see, during the Passover celebration, this is when Jesus came back to Jerusalem to be crucified. And he's being ushered in, and the, the conspiracy against him begins to unfold. Judas betrays him. Jesus is drugged before the governor of, of that province in Rome, and the Roman governor Pilate was there, and it was custom during the Passover celebration for the governor to release one of the prisoners to the people, to set them free. And we pick up this part of Jesus' story in Matthew 27, 23 through 26, where Pilate, the governor, said, what should I do with this Jesus who's called the Messiah? They shouted back, crucify him. Why? Pilate demanded. What crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw he wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. You see, Pilate could see that Jesus committed no crime worthy of the punishment that he was taking on. And he washes his hands of it before the people. He says, this scandal is on you, not on me. See, Pilate didn't know it was a scandal of grace, that this was all a part of God's plan. And the people yelled back, we'll take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them in order that Jesus be flogged with a lead-tipped whip and turned over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. So Jesus is standing there with Barabbas. And you see, Pilate wanted out of the scandal. So he brings Barabbas, who was a known thug murderer, the worst of the worst. 
And he's thinking, I'm going to get out of this because they're going to take Barabbas. There's no way they're going to choose Jesus over Barabbas. Yet the crowd demands that he release Barabbas and that he crucifies Jesus. And every time I read this part of the story, I kind of get angry. I get mad. I go, how could they do that? How could they knowingly allow this man to crucify Jesus knowing what he had did? Barabbas was a known thug, a known murderer, full of hate and selfishness. And Jesus was this loving, humble servant who washed feet, who healed sick, who raised people from the dead. And they demanded Jesus' life over his. And it gets me angry. How could they do that? Pilate washes his hands of it and steps away. And I'm going, how could he do that? Why didn't you do more, Pilate? Why didn't you step in? But you see, this was all a part of God's plan. And Jesus, the whole time, remained silent. He didn't say a word. But his actions spoke loud and clear. And what his actions spoke is he said, I love Barabbas. Take him. I'll die in his place. That was the scandal of grace. That was the love of God, that God had to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. You see, the people didn't set Barabbas free. God's love set him free. And what we have to realize today is it's that you and I are at the center of this scandal. Perfection took your place. Perfection took my place. You see, you and I are Barabbas. We deserved the punishment for our crimes, for our sin, yet God was willing to allow his son, to allow perfection to take our place. I love how Billy Graham put it. He said it was Christ who willingly went to the cross. No one drug him there. No one forced him there. He had the power to avoid it. He willingly went there. And he says, and it was our sins that took him there. You and I, perfection took our place. You and I are at the scandal, at the center of this scandal of grace. And I think the most incredible miracle of the cross is that there was no miracle is that Jesus stayed there. At any moment, he could have chose a way out. He could have called down angels from heaven to rescue him. But he hung there in shame. He endured the pain and the suffering of the cross for you and me. It was the plan of God. He knew he had to fulfill it. It's the amazing grace of God. And it includes you and me. That he died for us, that he took our place and welcomes us to receive this free gift of salvation offered through the sacrifice of Jesus, that we can have life eternally and life to the full on this side of heaven. In Romans 5, 20 through 21, it says that God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God, resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the gospel message. Right here, Paul lays it out. And you go, well, Kyle, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the the hurts I've caused to people. You don't know the depths of my despair and and the things I've done and and how I've sinned against God. And you know what? Maybe I don't know. But I do know this, that wherever your sin is, whatever you've done, there's more grace for you today. Not because you deserve it, Because you were at the center of the scandal. Because when Jesus hung there on that cross, he had you in mind. Knowing that you couldn't pay the price for your sins. Knowing that he was the only way that you could have relationship with your heavenly father today. And whatever you've done, he says there's more grace for you. 
The Bible says every day that his mercy and his grace is new to cover our sin, to empower us to fulfill the life that he has for us. And even the worst of the worst, the people who were crucifying him, as Jesus hung on that cross, he said, God, you can even forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the amazing grace of God. And then when he breathed his last breath, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished or we are finished. He said, it is finished. And you may ask, well, what is it? Whatever you need it to be. Whatever sin you committed. Whatever issue you're facing this morning. It has been finished The price has been paid in full. Salvation has been provided. There is a way that you can relate to God like never before because of what Jesus did for you. The amazing scandal of grace. And the band's coming. We're closing out today. And the prophet Isaiah foretold of the crucifixion, of what Jesus would go through. He said this in chapter 53, verses 3 through 6. He says he was despised and rejected He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed, all of us. Have like, are like sheep who have strayed away. We left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord, knowing that we would go our own way, knowing that we would sin, knowing that we would struggle, laid on him the sins of us all. It's the amazing grace of God. There's a phrase that they use that, that is when a story looks like it's going one way, and then unexpectedly takes a turn in a different direction. And they say, flip the script. Look at your neighbor real quick and say, flip the script. It's just kind of fun to say, isn't it? Flip the script. You see, when the story looks like it's going one way, it, it takes a turn for another. The, flip gets, the script gets flipped. And you see, I think the grace of God isn't just about erasing the past. It's about starting over. You see, rewriting a story to me is even more powerful than starting a new story. That God just doesn't take the broken things away, but he takes those broken pieces and turns them into something beautiful. That grace begins to rewrite our story, the story of our lives. You see, he brings purpose from every pain you ever had. He redeems it. The Bible says he works all things together for your good. That somehow God has a supernatural way of taking even the most broken areas of our lives and using them for our benefit and for his glory. And Jesus had endured the pain of the cross and that pain became our gain. God redeemed his pain so that you and I could have life through him. And if you're willing to give God the broken pieces of your life this morning, he promises to make something beautiful of it a beautiful mosaic. And we have to stop thinking about what's been done to us. You see, the enemy wants to get you stuck in the past. He wants to get you focused on what's happened to you. And today, I want to shift your focus from what happened to you to what's been done for you. That there was a scandal of grace that included you and me. And in order us for, to get towards our future and what God has for us, we have to get our eyes off the past 
You see, Jesus was able to endure the crucifixion because he was focused on the resurrection. The Apostle Paul said it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. You see, Jesus was to endure the worst of the worst because he was focused on the resurrection. He knew that three days later he was going to rise from the dead. You see, from a worldly perspective, Christ's death singled defeat. After all, dying agony on a cross hardly seems like the path to victory, but it was. And he did it for all of us. Because Jesus triumphed over death, you can be victorious in life. You see, the devil thought he was going to defeat Jesus. He thought he had him beat. But little did he know that Jesus was on a mission to defeat him. That Jesus was about to flip the script to change the direction of the story. You see, I love a good comeback story. The Cavs started their playoff run last night, squeaked out a win, barely. But I remember back to last year, the Cavs went down three to one to the Warriors, right? Greatest record in NBA history. Everybody was like, Cavs are done, it's over. Three to one, I was included. I'm like, oh, it's over. But LeBron James, as you know, led the Cavs back to do what no team had ever done before. You see what they always said, no team had ever come back from a 3-1 deficit. But they did it. It was a comeback. And in your life, people may be saying the same thing. You see, they can't say that this NBA Finals. If a team goes down 3-1, you know what they're going to be saying? Well, the Cavs did it last year, so maybe they can do it this year. And in your life, maybe you're down 3-1. Maybe there seems like there's no hope for you, and everyone's saying there's no hope. And the enemy's telling you that there's no way that you'll come back. But because of Jesus, not because of you, but because of Jesus and what he's done for you, you can flip the script on your story. You see, they may be saying that, that your marriage is over, that you'll never find restoration. But God is a, the miracle worker. He's the one who can flip the script on your marriage and your financial situation. You'll never climb out of this mountain of debt you're in. Jesus can flip the script. Because when he was dead and everyone gave up, even his disciples, his closest ones, who knew what he was going to do, he told them exactly what he was going to do. And when he died, they gave up. They went back to their day jobs. They started fishing again. But three days later, Jesus comes back. Jesus fulfills his promise. And on the resurrection, when he died, his victory became your victory. Death, hell, and the grave had been defeated. And the Bible says it's no longer you that live, but once you receive Christ, it's Christ that lives within you. And he said the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now resides in you and I, and that you have access to that power, that power that was able to raise Jesus from the dead is in you, and he can raise you from death to life. He can bring healing to you. He can bring salvation to you. He can flip the script on your story so you can begin to walk in freedom that he has the power to break that bondage of addiction that's been carrying you and holding you back for years. He has the power to do it if you allow him to flip the script. You see, every time we see a cross, we gotta remember what it represents. Nobody wore crosses around their neck until Jesus defeated death because Jesus took a symbol of torture and turned it into one of great triumph. He flipped the script. And that's his desire for you. 
You see, Christ met all of our needs on the cross. We're now a part of his family. When he died in our place, he affirmed our value. Billy Graham said, God proved his love on the cross. When Christ hung, bled, and died, it was God saying to the world, I love you. And it wasn't the nails that that held Jesus to that cross that kept him there. It was his love. It was his grace. It was his mercy. You see, you and I were at the center of the scandal of grace. He died for you so that he could flip your script so that he could take the broken pieces and make something beautiful of it. Because of the cross, you don't have to do anything to make your way to God. He made his way to you. And the cross built a bridge so that you could have a relationship with your heavenly father. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. And he desires more than anything in this world to have a relationship with you. Listen, I'm not asking you today if you believe in God. You probably wouldn't be here if you didn't. But I'm asking you, do you know him? You see, Jesus didn't die so that you could come to a religion, so that you could begin to check off a religious to-do list of do's and don'ts and complete rituals that'll get you right with God. You're right with God, not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has done for you. And what Jesus did for you is so that you could have relationship with him. Not just know about him, but you could know him. That his desire is to know his kids, to do life with you to give you strength, to empower you, to overcome some of the darkest days of your life, that there'll always be light because light is with you. Love is with you. He's in you. He desires to know you in a personal way. And today you may be a skeptic. You go, well, how do you know this is true? All this sounds too good to be true, Kyle. How do you know that this is true? And one of the greatest examples of proof that we have of the resurrection are Jesus' disciples. You see, when Jesus was being crucified, his disciples scattered. They ran in fear. Peter denied Christ three times, said, I don't even know that guy. Didn't want to be associated with him. And then he dies and they go back to their day jobs. But then he comes back. He spent 40 days on this earth before he ascended to heaven. And he spent time with his disciples again. He reaffirmed their calling and their purpose. He gave them a comeback story too. And then all of these men who ran scared for their lives were now willing to die for a resurrected Savior. They went from running for their life to being willing to give their life. And 12, 11 out of the 12 were martyred, crucified themselves because of their faith in Jesus and a resurrected Savior. It's true. It seems too good to be true, but it's truth. And that truth is for you today. Jesus has done everything he needs to do. And the Heavenly Father has extended an invitation to all of us to become his sons, to become his daughters. The door has been open if you'll simply walk through it this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a song together. Our prayer partners are going to make their way to the back. If you need prayer for anything this morning, please take advantage of that. But as the band plays this song, I just want to ask you, to just really examine where you're at. Do you know him? Do you really know him? Or do you just know about him? Are you in relationship with your heavenly father? Jesus died on that cross so that you could know the father. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your amazing grace this morning that saved us, that redeemed us, that gives us and offers us new life in you. So today, God, I pray that everyone in this place would know how much they're loved by you, that you died for them, that you care deeply for them. 
You know the hurt. You know the pain. You know the struggle. And God, you desire to know them more than anything else. So I pray today that we would recognize what you've done for us and why you did it so that we could have relationship with you, so that we could know our Heavenly Father. God, help us to sense your love today, that we would know we are the sons and the daughters of God.